All right, well, welcome again to Homestead Church. We're so glad uh, that you are here today. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Steve Maxwell. My wife and I are the youth pastors here. We've been here for about five years, and we love this place. This is our home, and we just love this family so much. Our pastors, Jeff and Christy, as you can see, are not here today. They're living it up on the lake this weekend. So they're on vacation. They're enjoying themselves. So that leaves you with me. <laughs> so I'm excited today to bring the word. Um, and I just want you to know from my heart, we have great pastors. We have great leadership in this church. Uh, they are pastors who really care about uh, the word of God and the movement of God moving forward. Pastors who are on their face praying for this congregation. Um, so just know that they really do love this group of people and they love Jesus and, and they want to see his kingdom move forward. We got pretty blessed um, with the pastors that, that we were given. So today we are going to talk about something that's pretty important to the family of God, and that's community. We're going to talk about community, and we're going to talk about putting down roots and what that means. Um, and so we want to ask a few questions or answer a few questions today. First off, we want to know what does it mean to be a part of community? You hear that word all the time in the church world, like we're Homestead Community Church, right? So what does that mean? What does it really mean to be a part of a biblical community? How did God intend for us as his children, as his family, to interact with each other? And then lastly, what does it mean to put down roots? And we're going to start with that last question first. Anyone ever heard that before? Oh, we're putting down roots? Yeah. All right. So back when I was a younger lad, you know, in my early 20s, I'm so old now, um, I would hear that term, putting down roots, and it made me think of, like, older people or people who are, like, settling down, people who aren't as fun, people who don't travel, right? Just people who are, have put down roots in a community, and it also made me think of, like, people who actually have to get to know their neighbors, right? Because right now in Minnesota, what do we normally do? You see your neighbor and, hey, all right, you're out mowing the lawn, he's out mowing, what do you do? And that's pretty much the extent of our relationships in our neighborhoods, right? But when I think of putting down roots, it's like, oh, man, I'm going to learn their names. I'm going to be here for like 20, 30 years. be awkward if I don't know their names. you got to learn about their kids, have meaningful conversation. And you're, you're thinking right now, man, this guy doesn't really sound like he likes people. And this is what I always have said. I love people. It's just some of the individuals that I'm not too fond of. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. That was before God refined me into the being that I am today. No, I love all people because Jesus loves all people. But okay, so I would hear that putting down roots, and I was like, I don't know about that. But then I learned um, what biblical community was. I learned about that, and it gave a whole new meaning to what putting down roots meant. And so we've been in Farmington for about five years. Uh, like I said, we've been at this church for five years. And I live in a place now where every day I see people who truly want to know how I'm doing, who truly want to know how my day is going. Think about the people in your life who ask you how you're doing, whether it's at work or in your neighborhood. Do they really want to know honestly how it's going? Or is it just the guy from work, you're walking by, how's it going, Bob? Oh, good, Steve, you know, and then you carry on with your day. Is that the most of the relationships in your life? I have people in my life now who, when they ask me how I'm doing, they wait for me to answer honestly. Do you know how awesome that is? That I don't have to just say, oh, yeah, I'm good. No, I can tell them what's going on in my life. And that's an awesome thing. So my wife and I, we have put our roots down 
here at Homestead Church. We've put our roots down in this community of Farmington. Like, we're all in, you guys. We're all in for this. We're going to do life with the people of this community. And every once in a while, I think about the future. And I think about five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years from now. And I think about growing old with this family, growing old with the people of this community. I think about the youth leaders that we work with. And I know God's going to call some of them to different places, but I dream about our kids playing together. I dream about seeing their kids graduate. Like, that's the stuff that gets me excited. Like, I want to be 70 years old in this room. Some of you won't be here anymore. No, didn't like that one. (laughs) No, I, I dream of being like 70 years old and having us being able to tell the younger generation about all the amazing things that God has done in this place and about the thousands of lives that have been saved, the people who have come to know Jesus because of what God has done in this community. Like, I want to be 40, 50 years old after service still goofing around with you students and college students. Like, that is, like I want to do life with these people in this room. So I'm digging my roots deep. And as long as God says I can be here, I'm all in. I would pray that you would be all in as well. So how do we know what a biblical model of community is? You probably guessed it right here in the Bible. Uh, John 13, 35 says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples. This is Jesus talking. If you what? If you love one another. So today we want to talk about love. We want to look in the Bible and see where can we learn about love within the family of God. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. If you don't have a Bible, pull out your phone, open up the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, where have you been? Get the Bible. I don't even think you're a Christian anymore if you don't have the Bible app on your phone. Uh, So now pull pull out your Bible. We're going to be in the book of Romans today. If you don't know much about the book of Romans, a guy named Paul wrote it. Now, Paul's a very important character uh, when it comes to our faith. He's one of the greatest missionaries to ever walk the earth. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and if you don't know his story, you need to learn it because it is a story of God's faithfulness, of God's transformation, and how he used a wicked, evil man to carry out one of the greatest, the greatest movement of all time. And so when it comes to the book of Romans, uh, the overall theme of this book is that the righteousness of, uh, the righteousness, um, excuse me, that righteousness comes from God. Like, I can't produce, I can't create righteousness. And, And it tells us that we are saved by grace, that we are saved by grace through faith. So basically... The overall theme is the gospel. And so the first uh, 11 chapters, um, Paul is talking about theology. He's talking about doctrine. And then when we get to chapter 12, he starts to talk about how we live that out in our lives. So as individuals and as the church, as the family of God, how do we live out that theology and that doctrine? And in Romans 12, we see that he's going to show us about love. And he's going to show us how we can be a part of a community of believers. So turn to Romans 12. We're going to start in verse 9. The, the words will be up on the screen as well. It says this, love must be sincere. We're going to stop there. In the New American Standard Bible, it says, let love be without hypocrisy. So it's saying that as a family of God, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, the love that we have for each other, it needs to be without hypocrisy. Now, what's hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is pretending to be one way when you really are another way. Hypocrisy is pretending that all is well when all is not. 
And so you may say, okay, well, how does this look like? Well, what does this look like in our lives? Well, for me, it looks like Brooke and I on the way to church arguing in the car and yelling at our kids in the back seat, and then we walk in the door, and it's, oh, hallelujah, praise God. God is good, right? I know you all have done that before. That's hypocrisy, right? Hypocrisy is struggling to put food on your table and having someone who loves you and knows you and cares for you come to you and say, what can we do? What is going on? How are you doing? And you say, oh, no, we're good. God is great. God is good. We're good. We don't need anything. We're good. Hypocrisy is a guy cheating on his wife all the while saying, oh, marriage is great. God is good. God is faithful. Things are great. That's hypocrisy. Acting like a Christian, whatever that means, when you're around other Christians. As the body of Christ, as God's children, that's a game that we can't afford to play. Because if we're being, if we're coming into this place pretending to be something that we're not, no one will ever know who we are. And you can't receive love if you're pretending. Because the love that people are showing you, they're really giving to that perfect version of you that you're portraying. But think about this, when, you, when people know who you really are, when they know about your sin, when they know about your struggles and how you have fallen short, they really know your heart and they still choose to love you, that's when real love takes root. That's when real life happens. And that, and only then, is when you can truly build genuine community. And so I want you to know whether you've been at this church since the beginning or this is your first Sunday here, like in this family, in this community, um, it's okay to not have it all together. We tell our youth students when they come in here, they don't have to put on a face. They don't have to pretend to be something that they're not. You don't have to come in saying, hallelujah, praise God, if you're angry and upset about something. You can be real. You can be honest. You can be upset. Come in this place and be real and the people here are going to love you for who you are. You want to know why? Because Christ loves you for who you are. And Christ went to the cross for you. He went to the cross for me. Even though he saw sin in me, even though he knew I was going to fall short, he chose to love me anyway. And then in return, we receive his love, and then we pour it out on each other. That's what we do here. There's no, we don't need to pretend. You should be suspicious of people who are too perfect. The pastor who's always wearing the cape, he's a superhero, right? You should be suspicious. No one is that perfect, right? The Bible says we've all fallen short. And if we can't be real here, where can we be real? And if we won't be real here, then why are we here? If you're going to come in and act like you have it all together and you can follow all the rules and do the right things, you know what you're saying? I don't need the cross, because the cross is for broken people, and I'm a broken person. And that's why I come here. That's why I'm a part of this family, because we're a bunch of broken people coming before the cross and saying, join us. We've fallen short. We're trying to figure this thing out together. All right, moving on. So that's the first one, is that our love has to be without hypocrisy. It has to be sincere. All right, second half of verse 9, it says this. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. So we know that God is good. So we're going to cling to God, we're going to cling to the cross, we're going to cling to his word. But the first part of this is tough. It says, hate what is evil. And this is saying that we can't let evil stay in our lives. We can't keep sin in our life. And so as an individual, I have to hate the sin that is in me. I have to turn from the sin that is in me. I have to repent and turn back towards God. And that also needs I need to get help 
for the things that I struggle with. So yes, we find freedom in Christ. So if you struggle with addiction or whatever, whatever the struggle, you know what the struggle is in your life. We find freedom in Christ, but Christ has also given us tools and resources and people to help us to get through the things that we struggle with. So that's how we turn from evil and hate from evil as an individual. But as a church, as the body of Christ, we have to be really careful with this. Because remember, when people come in here, we want this to be a place where they don't feel judged, right? Where they can be open, where they don't have to pretend to be perfect. This is not a place of judgment. But at the same time, if you really love someone and you see that they are doing evil, if you are really close to someone, they're your brother, and you see that they're doing something that's going to hurt their relationship with Christ, would it really be loving to not say anything? Would it really be loving just to say, eh, hope that works out for him? Imagine it like this. Imagine you walked into this sanctuary and one of your best friends was in the front row and they were on fire, literally visibly on fire. Would you just say, ugh, hope that works out? No, you would run over and you'd try to put that fire out. You would do everything you could so they wouldn't get burned, right? The same is in our relationships as well. But again, we have to be careful. We have to hold each other accountable. We have to have people in our lives who are going to call us out on our crap, right? But we have to be careful because it only works if we have real relationships. Imagine trying to call someone out on their sin when you don't even know them. It's like those guys who stand on the street corners with the signs, repent, you're going to hell, turn for, is that working pretty good? That's bringing a lot of people to Jesus. No, don't do that. Please don't do that, <laughs> right? But, but here's the deal. But if, if I know someone and someone is my brother and I love him and he loves me, then I can confront him and he can confront me. I can't go to a stranger and say, hey, I heard you, I heard you talking about how your marriage is struggling, but you're not really doing anything about it. You know, that wouldn't really end so well. But I can go to my brother and I can say, hey, you know, you've been talking about how marriage is struggling, but you know, I see that you're flirting with this person all the time. You're putting all your time and energy into other people. Why don't you focus on your marriage? Like, remember 10 years ago when I stood with you uh, and, and you stood before God and, and, and you, you spoke those vows to your wife. Maybe focus on your marriage. I can say that to a brother, and that's part of what being a community is. Part of being a community is getting close enough where we can hold each other accountable and build each other up in our faith and in our relationships. So that's another one that's important. We have to cling to what is good, but we also have to hate is what is evil, and we don't want it to be in any of our brother or sister's lives. All right, moving on. Verse 10 says this. Be devoted to one another in love. The New American Standard says in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Now, when I think of love, I always think of love as an action, which it is, showing someone that you love them, doing something so they know that you care about them. But what are they saying here uh, when Paul says brotherly love? Like, what does that mean? Well, I want you to think about your family, your brother, like your brothers and sisters, your kids and your wife. Like, you have affections for them. Like, you don't just show them that you love them. You have feelings for them. You care for them on a deep level. And so Paul here is saying that we should have feelings for one another in the body of Christ. These are not just friendships that we have. We should care for each other on a deeper, deeper level than that. And I want you to think about all the people in your life that you truly love, that you care about, that you have affections for. 
I bet you those are people who are transparent. I bet you those are people who are honest and who are real with you and don't just act a certain way because you're a Christian. But you know who they really are because they don't pretend when they're around you. And so we can't get to this level of brotherly love until we stop pretending. So we have to have brotherly love within our community as well. All right, verse 11, it says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. This is simply saying, don't let your faith get dry. Don't let your faith get dry. You've got to have people in your life who are going to spur you on in your faith. We were not meant to do this relationship with Christ thing by ourselves. We're meant to do it within a community. Proverbs 27, 17, you've all heard this, says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Like, we will be built up when we see other people serving God when we see other people doing what God has called them to do. When you're in the valley and your relationship with God is in a dry season, you need to have people around you who their relationship with God is on the mountaintop and they're serving God and they're doing what God has called them to do. And they're gonna take your hand and they're gonna walk you through the valley until you get out so you can get back to doing what God has called you to do. And so your relationship with God is on the mountaintop. So don't let your faith dry. We have to build each other up. We were not meant to do this by ourselves. Verse 12 says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So we rejoice in hope, okay, because Christ died for us on the cross. He saved us. One day he's going to come back and we're going to spend eternity with him. So we have to rejoice in the hope of Christ. But then it says, be patient in affliction. What's affliction? It's anything that causes you pain. So when you're in pain, when you're in a hard time, when you're struggling, Paul says, be patient. How are we going to be patient? We need to have people around us who are there for us. We need community in times of affliction. People who will be there to pick you up when you fall. People when you don't have anything left, you have no prayers left, no energy left, no strength left. People who will surround you and pray for you without you even having to ask. Anyone ever been at that point where you're like, I don't even know what to pray anymore. I don't even know what to say anymore. I don't know what to do anymore. You need to have people in your life who are going to pray for you when you can't even pray. That's part of being a community. Help each other be faithful in prayer. Help each other be patient in affliction and be joyful in the hope of Christ. Verse 13, this is one of my favorites. It says this, uh, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. So the first part is just saying, as the church, we're called to meet needs. So that means in this room, we're called to help meet each other's needs. If there's a brother or a sister who is struggling and you can help them, help them. It's that simple. Meet needs. And then in our surrounding community as well, meet needs. Don't just take resources, but be a resource. Be there for people. Reach out to people. Be a resource in the community. And then, and then the second part which is my favorite of today, is practice hospitality. This is so important when it comes to the family of God. And when you think hospitality, you may think of like Martha Stewart and like fancy dishes and nice meals. But that's not what biblical hospitality is all about. We sometimes get this confused with social entertaining. Hospitality and a biblical level is not entertaining. And in my study Bible, there's kind of an excerpt here that explains it really well. Um, so I'm going to read that. It's going to be up on the screen. It says this. 
Entertaining focuses on the host. The home must be spotless, the food well-prepared and abundant. The host must appear relaxed and good-natured. Hospitality, by contrast, focuses on the guests, their needs, whether for a place to stay, nourishing food, a listening ear, or acceptance are the primary concern. It can happen in a messy home. Amen. Amen. It can happen around the dinner table while eating leftovers. It can happen while host and guest do chores together. Don't hesitate to offer hospitality just because you are too tired, too busy, or not wealthy enough to entertain. At our house, at the Maxwell House, we have people at our house every day. Like it's rare that a day goes by that there isn't someone who isn't a part of our immediate family in our home. And people will ask us, and we did that on purpose because we've opened our home. We want people of this community to be in our house. And people will ask, uh, like, do you get sick of that? Do you get sick of having people at your house all the time? And honestly, we don't because we're not entertaining people. <laughs> entertaining is exhausting. We're doing life with people. We're practicing hospitality. And so we have students and leaders who are at our house all the time. And so they come over and we do yard work or we eat dinner or we fold laundry or we go to the store. And you may be saying, they just have kids over to do their chores. It's free labor and you're right. No, I'm kidding. No, but what, what we do is we just live our life and then we bring people alongside us to live life with us. You don't have to entertain people. Invite them into your home, watch a movie, have dinner. The house can be messy, it can be leftovers. That's what biblical hospitality is all about. And the Bible also challenges us um, to invite people into our home that we maybe don't know that well. To invite people in so we can start to build godly relationships. And so I wanna challenge you guys to open up your home. That is one of the easiest ways where we can build the family of God, and especially in these times when there are people who maybe don't feel comfortable coming to service, invite people into your home. Get to know people on a deeper level. For us, we find it just as biblical, just as godly to have five students around our table eating dinner as we do uh, you know, preaching to 30 or 40 students on a Sunday night. Like that is just as important. What we do Monday through Saturday, reaching out to students, having them in our home, is just as important, if not more important, than what we do at youth service. Because we're called to do life with each other, not just come to church on Sunday. So open up your home, break bread, start to form godly relationships with people. So what is community as we've seen it here in Romans 12? What is Paul trying to tell us? Community is the family of God. The fact that we have fallen short, amen? That we have fallen short and God said, I'm gonna send my son to go to the cross for you. And even if you're the only one who is saved, think of yourself, I'm, Jesus is still gonna go to the cross. How crazy is that? And we take that same love that God showed to us, the love that we didn't deserve, and then we pour it out on the people around us. And we invite people in and say, we're a broken people, we're not perfect, come join us at the foot of the cross. We're gonna do this thing together, we're gonna do life together, we're gonna build each other up. So be honest, be transparent, do life with each other. When you come in this place, don't pretend to be something that you're not. If you're upset, tell someone that you're upset. If you're sad, cry. Verse 15 uh, in Romans 12 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. 
You want to know the awesome thing about this group of people in here? These can be the people that you go to with the best news that you've ever had, and they will rejoice with you. And these are also the people that you come to with the worst news that you have ever had, and they'll mourn with you, and they'll be here for you, and they're gonna, not going to leave you. They will be here for you no matter what. So I want to encourage you, encourage you today as we, as we wrap up to become a part of a community, whether that's here at this church or somewhere else. It has to be more than just a Sunday sermon. What we do as a church from Monday to Saturday is just as important as what we're doing right now. Don't let it just become a weekly Bible study for you. You have to grow in your faith, and part of that is growing with each other, growing as the body of Christ. And if you're new here, maybe it's your first time here today, or you've just been kind of checking this church thing out, checking this Jesus thing out, uh, we want just to let you know that that's awesome. Please keep coming back. We love you. We hope you feel welcome. We hope that this is a place where you feel like you can just come and be yourself. Um, but I want to encourage you, even if you haven't given your life to Jesus, come join us. Join our community. Come into my house. Come on in. Like, we, we love you. We want you to be a part of this community. But I really want to challenge people in here who have been coming here maybe six months, a year, two years, three years, and all this has ever been for you is a Sunday morning Bible study. That's not what God intended. God intended for us to build relationships with each other and do life with each other. That is why we are here. So if that's you, I challenge you to take the next step. Get to know some people. Invite yourself over to someone's house if you have to. Get to know some people within this community. Be a part of this family. Like, you guys, we are so blessed that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't just leave us high and dry. Like, oh, figure it out. No, he gave us the Holy Spirit, but then he also designed the church, the body of Christ, where millions of different believers with different backgrounds and different talents and different spiritual gifts can come together and form a family and be there for each other and lift each other up and help spur each other on in our faith. So I just want to encourage you guys today that let your faith be more than just Sunday. Get to know some other people and you will see, your, as, you, as you build relationships with each other, you're going to see your relationship with God grow. Because the people around us and their faith is what spurs us on to the things of Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. And I thank you so much for all these people in this room. I thank you for this family. I thank you that uh, your blood ties us together in, in a way that we can't even explain. That the bond that is formed by the cross is immeasurable that we are so lucky that we have brothers and sisters, even if they're not our own flesh and blood, that your blood has tied us together and that we can truly know each other. We can truly be known just how we're known by you, God, that we can come in here and be transparent and be honest and people will love us even in our failure and even in our struggles and in our imperfection. God, again, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the cross. And I pray that everyone in here would understand how important it is that they would become a part of a community, that they would join in and be a part of the family of God. That's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen.